podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. We're up to like episode 41 now. Can you imagine that? I can't believe it's taken us 41 episodes to get to the episode that I really wanted to make. Oh, it's incredible. And, and you know what? We're 41 episodes in and I don't think we've really quite got like the mics and the equipment and the volumes and all that stuff sorted yet either. What are you saying? It took us like an hour to get set up today. <laughs> I wouldn't say that at all. But I do like the microphone still. I like the microphone. Um... It's been a long time since we've done this. It feels a little bit different now, doesn't it? Does it feel it? rusty? A little bit. I mean, what's it been, like eight weeks or something? Uh, Has it been that long? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's a I long time. I guess so. That's what happens when you front load the summer specials. Pretty exciting. All right. Uh, so I guess just usual check-in stuff, uh, start us off. So as ever, you guys can get in touch with us on uh, Twitter. You've got us at The Wow Podcast. We're still there. Um, We've got our new website out. We do. It's www.worldofwork.io. Yeah, I remember telling people we were going to do that like ages ago, but it's here now. Um, And we probably should explain, because it might feel a bit confusing, that this episode is in the middle of the series, but we recorded it after we recorded the rest. So that's why it's been a little little while and it sounds a little bit like we're rusty, because actually we recorded all the rest of the episodes from this series. And then we did this one a little bit later because there's quite a lot to it. And also, I was in the middle of my exams. Yeah, that's right. And that was okay, wasn't it? And I didn't fail. Yay! Yes, my entire mantra for life is don't come last. Yeah. Uh, no, I did all right. I did good. Yeah, so really good. I'm excited. Yep. And I guess just a little recap on the series. So the series itself is all about kind of self-development and, and trying to help individuals get better at I guess, fulfilling their potential and being happy and all those kinds of stuff. So we thought self-regulation was really an important part of that. Um, as ever, with this episode, we're going to follow the same format that we have in the others. So we'll be doing a bit of a definition uh, piece. We'll, we'll have um, a research roundup. We'll then go on to have a list of the week, some stories from the keyboard, a few final fit, uh, thoughts, top tips, and then we'll check out. Um, but just before that, really quickly, Jane, anything exciting happening in your life in the last couple months apart oh, from so much exciting a lot, uh, firstly I'm going on holiday oh nice which never used to matter to me but really matters these days yeah it's so good. I'm quite excited about that um, secondly I've had my exams and the results and yeah. they were okay good uh, one of them was much more than okay so I'm pretty chuffed about that yeah and I'm rocking up to do my research project so yeah it's been it's been really busy um, oh and I moved house Oh, yeah. Um, and moved into what is our new studio. <laughs> yes. Um, and I say that with a snigger because we are currently sitting in my living, what will be my living room, surrounded by bare plaster, almost bare plaster walls yeah. that I've been stripping. There's still wallpaper. There's a ladder on behind James. Yeah. Um, and yet we've still set it up like a little podcast studio. Yeah, it's fun. It's good. So, yeah, loads. What about you? Well, the same. I mean, it's just been really busy. I've been, I've been coaching a couple of kind of interesting people in the business world with interesting problems, and I, I find that the most exciting. So I always. Like, I really enjoy those sessions. I've had a lot of fun with that recently. Um, I took all of June off, basically. I mean, I went out to the States and spent a month. Um, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I know, right? Like, visiting weird. people. So that was fun. Obviously, website out. We set up a company. So now we're actually a company. <gasps> yeah, that is true. Yeah, we'll so, talk about that in a little Yeah, time. website, company. Who knows what's going happening. on? Yeah, it's exciting, though. Exciting. Um, yeah, so that's it, I guess. Um, 
And of course, there's been a lot of other little bits and pieces, but, uh, but we're having fun. So, should we talk about self-regulation? Yes, let's, because, you know... It's right. quite close to my heart. Yeah, this is one of like uh, Jane's sort of passion topics, so it's kind of exciting. Define passion topic. Yeah, well, it's one lifetime you... struggles. <laughs> Let's go with that. Maybe. That feels more appropriate. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, I mean, you, you know, you say that people study the things that are relevant to them somehow in life. I think maybe. I think they definitely do yeah, that. No. I think that's definitely. And I guess I studied accounting, so there we go. I don't know. <laughs> and economics. And economics. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what that means about my life. Anyway. So we're going to talk about self-regulation, but we're going to start off with some definitions, um, as we always do. And because this is kind of like Jane's leading on this topic and doing a lot of research, I'm going to take you guys through a couple of definitions. Uh, we're going to try and go a bit faster with them. We're going to try and get the podcasts down to maybe 45 minutes each in the future. So, um, so yeah, we will do that. Not that we're going to try. We will. I think that's an important part of self-regulation, isn't it? You've got to learn to stop speaking. Anyway. So, some definitions for you quickly. So, self-regulation itself, what's that all about? Well, participatory, let me try that again, participatory health through social media has said that self-regulation is defined as the process by which people incorporate behavior change into their everyday lives, and it involves self-monitoring, goal-setting, reflective thinking, decision-making, planning, plan enactment, self-evaluation, and management of emotions arising as a result of behavior change. That's kind of a, a, a mouthful, but we're going to... I feel like that's everything. That covers, like, life, doesn't it? It's like kind of being alive. Um, next up, we're going straight to emotional self-regulation, which is a subset. This comes from the Encyclopedia of Child and Behavior Development, a pretty good read. It says, emotional self-regulation refers to the complex process of initiating, inhibiting, and modulating the conscious aspects of emotion to effectively achieve one's goals. So, you know, that's a subset of this kind of stuff. And you'll see when we get into the content that there's a bit of overlap and all this stuff. Then we've got another little one here. You might be asking yourself, well, doesn't a lot of this stuff just kind of sound a bit like self-control? And you're not the first people to ask this question. So we found out that somebody called Stuart Shanker in 2016 said, self-control is about inhibiting strong impulses. Self-regulation is about reducing the frequency and intensity of strong impulses by managing stress load and recovery. In fact, self-regulation is what makes self-control possible or, in some cases, unnecessary. So that's kind of good, isn't it? it like, it shows how self-regulation is a, a sort of a preventative way to, to pre-manage your way through some of these things, whereas self-control is a response in a minute. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with Stuart's work, but I like no, him. No, I definitely like him. That's good, right? That's good. And I'm going to rattle through three more quickly. Next up is ego depletion, which is a phrase that, that I kind of like. Um, and this is from the British Psychological uh, Society. It says that ego depletion, what are we saying about it? Well, it says, this is the intuitive idea that self-control or willpower is a limited resource, such that the more you use up in one situation, the less you have left over to deploy in another. Now, like this idea is in and out of fashion a bit, but we'll come on to it in the research. It's just a, an idea to, to get into your mind. Basically, you know, Willpower gets worn down over time. You use it up and you run out of it, is, is what it's saying. Um, then next up, we've got um, self-efficacy. And this is a definition from Albert Bandura, which will be relevant later. He, he says that self-efficacy refers to an individual's belief in his or her capacity to execute behaviors necessary to produce specific performance attainments. Right? So 
Do you believe you can get stuff done? Do you believe you can behave in a certain way? That's what self-efficacy is. And then very lastly, and maybe my sort of favorite thing to chat about here is the illusion of control. And that's a cognitive bias. And we, I don't know that we talked about it when we've looked at some other things, but, but it's something that we've written about, certainly. Um, and basically all we've said here is that this is a tendency of individuals to overestimate their ability to control events. Right, so like a, a lot of times, people think they're in control of the world, and they believe that actions lead to, um, you know, follow-on actions and things like that. But in reality, it's not always quite. Is that, that like uh, the people who like say, "Oh, I've you know been clean eating for two years, and I've never had cancer, and that's why." Uh, absolutely, I've been wearing my special elephant detection bracelet or, or whatever elephant um, deterrent bracelet, and never yet has an elephant. I wonder if the roots of superstition room. come into that, particularly around sports people. Uh, well, I, you know what, like baseball players in America. Have you, have you watched some of them? They'll like get up, they'll walk to the bat, they'll touch their it's, nose, they'll jump in a circle. Yeah. It's extraordinary But baseball's to me. a particularly huge one for me. Um, it's like it's very a, ritualized. It's particularly... It always fascinates me that mm. in sport, something that people have put more, probably more hours yeah. than any other profession, because they start so young, to put into it, they're the ones who are most likely to think it's up to the gods. Oh, I know. It's weird, isn't it? Like all these the habits and, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts. Lucky there's a charms. load of them. There's yeah, a load of them. You've got to wear the same socks every day backwards. Um, serve preparation in tennis is really cool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the triple bounce drop, shake, rubber shoulder ball rubber. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so okay. that's me checking out a definition discussion, and I think we're gonna hand over to you um, to start us up. Yeah. So the way we've approached uh, the research is to firstly acknowledge that it self-regulation overlaps loads of stuff, some of which we've already talked about in other podcasts, some that we're going to talk about in the future, um, and it's like everything we talk about it's it's actually a little blurry where the lines are and what people are talking about um and what we've done is we've picked out uh four or five models in different contexts to talk you through cool um so just starting with uh something i really like from the self-regulation for accomplishment website which is basically where they've sort of looked at self-regulation and looked at all the things that overlap around it and so they've got a list and there are others that i don't even think they mention Mm -hmm. but certainly they've got self-talk Oh, yeah. They've got metacognition. Ooh. They've got uh, self-control, which you've already ma- mentioned yeah, yeah. as being relevant. They've got motivation, which we did pretty much a whole series. Uh, a whole uh, episode on. A whole episode on. But we yeah. did motivation theories. We did yeah, loads yeah, of them, yeah. didn't we? Um, executive function. Mm-hmm. Um, emotional regulation. Yeah. All of those things. Um, and so it's really important to understand when we talk about self-regulation. Firstly, context is everything. So different people have built different models around different industries and yeah. sectors, although I would argue that a lot of them are the same thing or similar. Yeah, so Sorry, like, like, researchers, <laughs> but it does feel like that. Like I a, feel like I've read like six things and they've been the same. Yeah, it's like, what's it like, health and cognition? Yeah, and... so um, the ones we've picked out, learning is a really big one oh, yeah, because yeah. Uh, lots of people trying to understand how to help the education sector people learn. Yeah. So learning's got loads of stuff about self-regulation, self-regulated learning. Uh, health huge because they're looking for behavior change and they're looking how to regulate behavior that gives you better health outcomes fine so there's been lots of money put into that so that's like take your insulin and stuff like that you know use. yeah and walk every day and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, sexual uh, health and stuff. take your drugs like yeah, making yeah, sure yeah, that yeah, people yeah. don't do risky behavior and yeah. stuff like that what about eating five fruits and vegetables a day does that count? Uh, do you want to get into a fight about the <laughs> arbitrary nature of five? Um, so, that, yeah, we're going we're gonna to pick up a health model, which I think is really useful. We're also going to pick up an emotional reg- model okay. uh, of self-regulation. Uh, we're going to look at cogn- a little thing from cognitive neuroscience about the failure of self-regulation and the balance model. Um, and if we've got time, we're going to pick up a Bandura model as well. But uh, if, if we don't get time, we will leave it for you for something to look at. But there's cool. loads. And this yeah, is cool. like five things out of a bunch um, and I'm not 
necessarily going to pass judgment on the quality of the academics, the research. This is about which models I like and which I think might be repeating themselves. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's some interesting stuff in here. So we're going to start with uh, the environment of learning. Uh, and we're going to start with Barry Zimmerman. Bazza. Which Because I just like Barry Zimmerman. Bazza Zimmer. Barry Zimmerman has been prolific in looking at self-regulation, learning, um, and a lot of this stuff. And... Uh, I want to share with you his phases of self-regulated learning because I think that I think they're actually relevant okay. to everything and learning in terms of learning about ourselves and our behaviours as well as the traditional sense which is the environment of learning and study uh, and education and I think I think it's relevant across everything. So he has a cyclical three-phase process and he has self-reflection, forethought and performance. Uh, so he argues that there is a self-reflection phase, which includes self-judgment and self-reaction. So judging yourself and reacting to that. Uh, then the forethought phase, uh, or the prep phase, it gets called in some places, which is around task analysis and motivational beliefs. So setting goals based on, so you've reflected right now, what am I going to set my goals around and why would I want to do the motivational beliefs? So what is, what, why am I doing this? Why am I setting this goal? And will it, will it be the thing that drives me forward? Um, and then a performance phase, which is effectively where you execute your self-control or your self-instruction or your attention focusing and your strategies and you observe. So there's a performance phase where you need to not only be executing your strategies, but also observing. Mm-hmm. You then move on to reflecting and taking some time out to look back and go, okay, did this work? How do I feel about it? Do I want to do this again? And then you move into back into a forethought phase of, okay, so what am I going to do differently? What am I going to do? Is this still motivating? Is this still something that I want to improve? And so I think it's really interesting because when you think about the practicalities of when you improve on self-regulation, sometimes you will stop and you might get a bit better, yeah. but then go, well, that's enough. And I think there's a piece around checking in with your motivation under that forethought period, right? He go, He's basically saying... Have I done enough now for this no longer to be something that I'm motivated to achieve? Yeah. Um, no and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like that one a lot. Yeah, cool. um, so, and, but I, I will also caveat it with, it is nothing more complex than figure out how, to, how you might approach the problem, have a go at approaching the problem and managing it. Did that work and are you happy with it? Are you going to do anything differently next time? I mean, it's not complicated stuff. Yeah, it's a big name, but you're but right. But I do think there's a call out around um, checking in with motivation that I think yeah. I particularly like. Yeah, yeah. And I also, you have to bear in mind that he started his work at a time where we really didn't understand a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot of this stuff is building on other things. So the next one I want to talk about is in the field of emotional self-regulation. And I think this is quite important because... So much of what we talk about in self-regulation is related to emotions um, and managing your emotional response to things. um, And quite often it's the thing that people associate most closely with self-regulation, particularly now. And also like in the workplace, that's the stuff that happens in the moment. I mean, sometimes happens. You've got maybe a negative emotional response. How do you... Well, it's it's the thing that most often affects other people. Yeah, I guess so. Like visibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I quite often, I, uh, for example, I, for me, uh, self-regulation issues tend to be much more cognitive Uh and they tend to be much more about uh, just bad habits, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and not finding quicker processes and stuff and not, and repeating the same problems. Um, but I, when I've witnessed emotional self-regulation failure, that tends to have a bigger, longer, quicker, more, more, um, acute impact. Whereas my procrastination just drives everyone up the wall. 
but the emotional self-regulation quite often arouse or they're yeah, that people makes upset. Sense. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you yeah, totally yeah. end up yeah, yeah. wanting to, as particularly HR, want to fix it. Um, so the process model of emotion uh, regulation is based on the modal model of emotion. Uh, and that argues that emotion, the generation of emotion occurs in a particular sequence. Situation. So the sequence begins with something happening, real or imagined, that is relevant to your emotion. Mm-hmm. Attention. You would you then direct attention towards that situation. So you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. And appraisal. You'll then evaluate and interpret it. And then there's a response. So you generate an emotional response. Okay. Now, because emotional response can cause changes to that situation. So someone shouts at you, you respond, you shout at them. It yeah. changes, fundamentally changes the situation from being the innocent party potentially where someone shouted at you you're now complicit so their response will change so you have to recognize and a lot of a lot of the research at the beginning was about understanding that it's these things all interact with each other yeah but uh the process model of uh emotion regulation argues that you can correspond what happens with that situation attention appraisal and response and uh they argue what happens is you have uh these are strategies that you will use knowingly or unknowingly to manage your regulation. Mm-hmm. So there's a situation selection piece, right? Which is okay. where you avoid yeah, situations yeah, yeah, yeah. that create emotion, right? So yeah. that happens before the process, right? Yeah, I'm with you. If you know someone winds you up, you just avoid them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for example, or in more serious cases, um, if you tend to come to uh, butt heads with someone metaphorically in the organization, you might avoid leaving them in your project team. Yeah. You know, you just yeah, avoid yeah, the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then there's situation modification, which is exactly what it says on the tin, mm-hmm. which is you try and change the situation you're in. Uh, and then there's attentional deployment. So distracting, distraction techniques. Okay. Um, so trying to move that around. Then you've got cognitive change, which is about uh, changing how you view things and how you interpret them. Mm-hmm. And then you've got response modulation, which is learning to manage your response. So just to go through this again, situation selection, just making it so that you don't or you do or you change the situations you access. Situation modification, how can you change the environment? So people often use heart humor. Fine, yeah, you can laugh at them. Yeah, yeah, so if you, if, yeah. You, uh, if you change the situation fundamentally by adding in something mm-hmm. that's in a way to you will end up yeah, without that, that situation sense. becoming yeah, something else the whole dynamic, so yeah. then there's attentional deployment so things like distraction but also worry so um this is about when you negatively sure. manage yeah, it yeah, right yeah, so you yeah. might worry it uh cognitive change where you might distance yourself again you might reappraise the situation you might say okay hang on can i take a step back yeah, can i think about what's going on and see the big picture and then you've got response, mod- response modulation. And that might be uh, exercise. They talk okay. about how you can use exercise to downgrade your response, right? Because you go and you take a walk. Yeah, and actually, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not just the distancing. Or it's also the, the physical. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Cool. But also examples of negative response modulation might be drug use. They might be uh, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. alcohol. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. might be smoking. I would argue that uh, smoking was an almost instantaneous response to me of yeah. a habit to to crack Managed into when very specifically when there was an uncomfortable atmosphere in the office. Yeah, okay. I would remove myself, and I was it was distancing, but it was actually it wasn't about distancing; it was about having a cigarette. Yeah, 
I was like, I just, this is, and it, and you, you treat yourself these yeah, things, yeah, right? Yeah, it's self-medication. So I think it's a really useful model and it's a really good explanation of how emotion, the emotional model works and then how regulation interacts with it. So I really like how they explain that. Yeah, that's good. Um, I thought that was really useful. And then we're going to move on to uh, the health model because I thought that was relevant. Yeah. Um, and so health sector has had loads and loads and loads of work put into it around this stuff. And I would argue it's probably the, the, the grassroots of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really complicated, a lot of it, um, I would say. And the f- sort of father of all of this, Levanthal's model, is from 1980. So it's proper, yeah. in comparison to some of the other stuff, it's proper old. And, the, uh, you know, the, it, it, he uses the feedback loop. Yeah, um, okay. as a well, part of the understanding, and we've seen it before. Yeah. And he argues that there is stimuli; it creates both a cognitive and emotional representation. Mm-hmm. For both of those, we have coping responses. Yeah, and the coping responses around cognitive representations um, are educational and health, educational coping responses. Yeah, um, and will and also can create health outcomes. So the idea is. You have a coping response, your well, your health outcome will change. So, for example, you can choose to reduce your level of sugar in your food, right, based on the information that you take on that your doctors are telling you that this will help your risk of diabetes. Sure, okay. You will then have a health outcome, and that educates you, because you'll go, okay, so I've been to the doctor, and he's told me that my risk has dropped down. Yeah. And so that educates you and informs your your coping mechanism, but also informs how you feel about the stimulus. Yeah. Right? Which makes total sense. Yeah. And then the other side of the model that he talks about is the emotional representation and the way that you cope with those emotional representations, but how they interact with health outcomes as well. Okay. So although, uh, so comfort eating would be a classic example. You may cognitively know that something is bad for you and when you adjust your behavior, it may work, but if the emotional response to a situation is such that you associate it with comfort eating then you may go off and still do that so you have to find coping responses for both yeah okay and there is a separate these are two separate loops which i really i think is really interesting it's good to think of a cognitive well and and it really helped me think about when we were talking james and i had a chat yesterday and we were talking about what's the difference between emotional self-regulation and self-regulation i think that's a really good model for explaining to me um about how emotion interplays and i think we because there is so much information out there I think we sometimes forget that cognitive evaluation of that information and actually targeting whether it's working, whether it's helping us, um, we tend to focus on the emotional side instead. Yeah. And I worry sometimes that we need both. Yeah, yeah, I think we do. Uh, so moving on from that, the last model that I want to talk about is the something that is from a very recent paper, well, not recent, 2011. Heatherton and Wagner did a piece of work uh, from the Cognitive Neuroscience in Failure of Self-Regulation. So what's going on in your brain when your self-regulation fails, right? And they argue that um, you're, there are threats to self-regulation, right? And that might be cue exposure. So we just talked yeah. about that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something happens and there's you use that as a cue. We talked about cues quite a lot in this yeah. series already. Um, and so you're exposed to a cue and that may lead to overwhelming impulses in your prefrontal control. Mm-hmm. And so basically your prefrontal control just buckles over that cue because you're used to that cue. Right. And the other thing that happens to threats and self-regulation is a lapse in activated consumption. Right. So there's pros and it's positive and negative behaviors. Right. So where, I don't know, 
I go on holiday for two weeks and I've been running every day. There's a lapse in that habit. Yeah. And therefore, um, the impulse to continue to lapse overwhelm my prefrontal control, right? Yeah, okay. So you, is it kind of saying that your sort of emotional aspects of things and, and your, your sort of gut instinct, whatever you want to say, ends up winning and you just lose the ability to force yourself to do stuff through your rational thought process? Is that what it is? Well, I, th- I think so. Um, but I think it's really important to understand the difference between the control element yeah. And the function being impaired. So they would then argue sure, okay. that other stuff like negative moods, resource depletion, you talk yeah, about yeah, ego yeah, depletion. Yeah. So resource depletion, alcohol consumption is the yeah. most straightforward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also brain damage, prefrontal yeah. brain damage, is where your function is impaired. And there Fine. is a difference between these two. And we don't sometimes, and it's interesting, we had a conversation yesterday, we were talking about what fits in self-regulation and what does, and this has really helped me. Yeah. So there is a difference between your function being impaired yeah. And your impulse is overwhelming. Yeah, and, yeah, and the yeah. previous health model talks about how you manage your impulses, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you talk in that, that quote, that definition about how do you reduce the... How, you can almost make those impulses go away, yeah. is what that quote says, the difference between self-control and yeah, self-regulation. Yeah, self-regulation, yeah. And what, what the balance model argues is that, well, yes, you can make those impulses go away, which will not overwhelm your prefrontal control, but also, if your function is impaired... And yeah, which is a totally it's different thing. It's a that, totally right? different thing. Yeah. But it's those threats that you have to understand different threats have a different impact on different people. Yeah. So depending on what the issue is. Fine. And the argument is that whatever, both of those things lead to your prefrontal and subcortical circuit being broken. Fine. And that leads to your self-regulatory failure. Fine. Right? So the bit of your, your prefrontal brain is failing because either... There's some stuff around your control systems that you've let go, like yeah. lapsing on holiday or yeah. hanging out with a guy that smokes. Yeah, you've changed the rules a bit, whatever. Yeah, versus stuff like negative moods, resource depletion, which might have a much bigger impact yeah. where the function is impaired, yeah. and how that's how that's how it happens. And and it's I just think it's really interesting because I yeah. suspect it relates as well to which types of self-regulation. Um, coping strategies work better in more yeah, situations. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great to see that there's different types. Anyway, look, it's quite complicated, but there's a nice, nice diagram, which I'm gonna, we're going to replicate and reference mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's quite... It's I interesting. Kinda, I kind of like it. Yeah, I, and it's, it's a really interesting um, piece of work. So we'll, I think we'll link to the, the paper because I think yeah, it's relatively straightforward. Yeah, yeah. And then just lastly, a very quick mention for Bandura because he's so prevalent in all this stuff. And I just really want to mention, go way back when to the 90s, um, he was kind of bringing all this stuff together and he talks about a system of self-regulation of motivation and action. Um, and he talks about standards and re- re- uh, reflective influences. And things he talks about is the uh, performance dimensions. So the different ways that we think about how we want to do things. So it's the quality, productivity, originality, sociability, uh, deviancy. These are all types of function that we want to, in a context, improve or not prove. Mm-hmm. He talks about the quality of your monitoring. So how are you taking the information based on your behavior. So do you have an honest picture of what you're doing and what you're not doing? And then he talks about your own personal standards, your referential standards. So what's the norm? So this is when you judge against what your standards are versus what someone else's standards are. So if everyone around you smokes, but you're still not okay with it, that's where those two things are different. Yeah. Um, And he talks about the, the motivation being the valuation of activity. So how important really is this to you? Um, and then he talks about the reaction, self-reaction. So evaluating your own reaction and whether you are choosing a rewarding or punishing approach 
uh, or whether you're choosing not to react at all. So I know this is humans and not dogs. But we were talking about my dog this morning who's behaving really badly and I have a a choice to ignore her. Yes. I have a choice to give her reward for when she's good or I have a choice to punish her when she's bad or I can take away good or I can add. And that links back to the reinforcement stuff we've spoken about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a matrix. There's a matrix and all of that stuff. But this is about how you do it for yourself. And it's all the same stuff. So so a lot of it is common sense. Yeah, it crosses over with so much of this stuff, doesn't it? But the one thing I want to say about all the research from my perspective is it feels like common sense because we're building on... 30 years of research, well, yeah, years yeah, of research yeah. right? So we all sit here going, oh, that's really obvious. Yeah, but it wasn't in 1980, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what do you think? That's my uh, that's my take on some of the research. I know there's a lot there. Yeah, I, I think it's... Um I think it's a really interesting area. I think it's an interesting field. I think, like you said, a lot of it feels like common sense. And, and one of the things that I think is really interesting is that, you know, having spent a fair bit of time reading up on behavior change recently, I think it's really interesting how much of an overlap there is between the stuff we're looking at in self-regulation and some of the interventions in behavior change. So I've, Sometimes I feel like uh, the psychology is the theory and behavior change went out and operationalized it. Yeah, and so for me, the interventions are how do you identify the points of influence within a self-regulation yeah. framework and, and how do you um, push them to, to lead to changes in behaviors and actions. So I think that's really interesting. Um, I've got uh, similar views to you around the fact that a lot of it seems like the people are basically saying the same stuff in different models. And I'm not an expert, right? And if you get into it, I'm sure there's nuanced difference and things like that. But I guess looking through it all, it, it's led me to have kind of one big question I'd like to ask you, which hopefully we've got a couple minutes to, to address, which is this stuff's all, all well and good and it talks about different processes and things you can do. Is it possible to get better at self-regulation if you practice? I mean, this series is about personal development. Can you develop your self-regulation? So I'm going to give you my opinion. Okay, that's cool. But I'm also going to say that article that I mentioned Mm -hmm. has a whole, uh, like, three paragraphs on exactly what they think. And I I would encourage people to read that too. So my perspective is that depends on what the issue is. I I think the obvious thing is if you've genuinely got... Um, consistent failures in your prefrontal. Yeah, yeah. So like, if you've got and that's like an impairment thing. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think it's much harder. Um, I think, uh, but I think when you when you, the really funny thing is when you draw something into a diagram, even about yourself, mm-hmm. I think it gives you a way of thinking about things. Yeah. And so when I was thinking about my own behaviour with two of the models, actually the emotional stuff and also the health one, it helps me to be really cold about in a good way, clinical. Uh, uh, improve my cognitive, cognitive yeah, process yeah, yeah, if you want yeah. uh, about some of the cues in well, my life well it helps you rationalise it doesn't it it yeah. gives you the tools so there, and are, the there are cues and... in my life yeah. that I can positive cues and negative cues yeah. that I have learnt from looking at this kind of stuff and yeah. so yes I do yeah, um, yeah. but I, I would argue is that is that yes it's better my, my self control's not better my self regulation is fine yeah, and I would argue smoking yeah. is a great example of that yeah 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 um but I would also argue in a work context, there are many things as a manager yeah. that I learned to remove the cues. Yeah. I learned to react differently. I deliberately adapted. There's lots of this stuff that I think people do all the time. I think we do it instinctively or, or we work it out ourselves to some extent, don't yeah. we? Yeah. The difference is, and, and I, for me, this would be my learning from all of this research. All of this research all say... There is a there is the feedback loop in some form. Absolutely, the, yeah. and 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 I my plea to everybody working in a workplace, particularly in a busy workplace, is if you do not take the time to reflect on yourself and others' behaviour, 
and what's happened and situations and information, you will not find the patterns and you will, you will be a broken record and you will yep. react the same way the same again and again and repeatedly. again. Yeah. You know? It's hard to change, but you, you need to get um, data and insight and feedback if you're going to And the satisfaction works. of not reacting or reacting positively yeah. to something that you have previously not managed well yeah. is a beautiful thing. Thanks for that feedback. I value it. Something like that. No, no. not that. I might punch someone for that. <laughs> That would come well, across. Then the you would not be self-controlling that, yourself, genuinely, would you? <laughs> I would sound sarcastic. Like yeah, that. Yeah, but that's, no, and that's a great example. Yeah, right? yeah, I learned yeah, that yeah. it doesn't get the reaction I want. Yeah. I just need to go, yeah, okay, yeah, take your point. Thanks, yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to move us on in our... Um, in our effort to uh, check in, uh, check out at 45 minutes, we're going to jump on. So yep. I'm going to go quickly onto a list, and then we'll go on to stories from the keyboard. Um, the list this week is, it's really simple, but we wanted to put it in because it it's, allows us to share something else with you uh, online as well. So all I'm going to do is talk you through something called the Self-Regulation Questionnaire uh, for Adults, which is the uh, SRQ. It's from Brown, Miller, and Lewandowski in 1999. And this is a tool that you can use to assess... Um, to some extent, your, your self-regulation. The tool's got 63 questions on it, and I'm going to read through all of them quickly now. <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm joking. I'm totally joking. Um, it, it, uh, the, the 63 questions cover... I'm just laughing at my little joke. I'm really sorry. Um, the 63 questions cover seven different categories. So it's a usual thing. You score yourself between one and five, um, how much you agree with different statements. But, but the underlying thing that the, the uh, tool's actually trying to get to is these seven different areas. And, and then we'll share a link to it. Um, but we think the areas give you an insight in terms of what it's trying to get to. And I'll just read them quickly, and then we'll go on to stories. Um, so the first area is around receiving relevant information. So how good are you at, at sort of reading signals and understanding your cues and seeing what's going on? Number two is around evaluating the information and comparing it to norms. So part of this uh, self-regulation is about fitting into social norm behaviors. So how good are you at evaluating information you receive and using it to interpret what the correct social norm is and comparing the information to what you'd normally expect? The third point is around triggering change. So, you know, when stuff comes in, how do you respond to it? How do you trigger your changes? Um, what do you do? The next piece is around searching for options. So, you know, once, once that tra- change process has started, how do you really evaluate the different options and find new ones? The next point, point five, is around formulating a plan. So now that you've assessed the situation and started to think about options, how do you develop a plan to help you achieve that objective? Then next, we've got implementing a plan. So how good are you at actually following through and, and delivering on the plan that you've created? And then the last stage is around assessing the plan's effectiveness. So that's that sort of self-feedback um, retrospective piece. So that's all we wanted to say. Just wanted to get it out there so you can share the link. Um, and so let's jump on to stories from the keyboard. Self-regulation. Would you like to kick us off with one? No, time? I think you should because I like yours. Well, right. I don't like yours, but... I think um, it's interesting. Yeah, okay. It's one I've touched on before, but I, I just think it's an interesting little one. One of the people that I worked with at one point in every feedback conversation meeting would cry. And, you know, within the way that we tend to work in a corporate environment, um, crying isn't a sort of social norm. It's not, you know, the, the sort of expected type of behavior, and it makes it hard to have conversations. Um, so, so it was just a bit of a strange behavior. And it's one of the things that would happen regardless of the type of feedback conversation that was taking place. Even if you get involved in something that is potentially positive feedback, it's sort of overwhelmingly uh, emotional and leads to to crying, which makes it hard to carry on with a conversation. Um, And I just thought that was an interesting example of 
um, a sort of inability to self-regulate in that environment. And, and one of the reasons I, I think it's an interesting example is because it's indiscriminate between positivity and negativity in that frame. So I don't really have any deep reflections on it. I think it's not for me to do that. I just thought it was one to share as an example. Um, yeah, I think it's a really interesting one. Yeah. Because it's, it's getting in the way for everyone. Yeah, right? it's for, for all parties involved. Um, it, you know, I've, I've worked with someone who not, not responds to feedback in that way, but has certainly quite a lot. Yeah. But they've always been like able to just sit there and go, just ignore, ignore yeah, the truth, yeah, I'm yeah, good. Yeah, I can totally fine. have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's just a bit of a reaction. And I always used to think that's a brilliant it's example a way, of actually say. being able to regulate. It's a self She could piece. absolutely carry on with the conversation. She was fine. It was a bit disconcerting at first, but she was also absolutely in control of it. And she was yeah. like, it's fine. It's just a bit of a reaction I have. Yeah. Um, and the way she described it, which I thought was great, was, you know, when people flush in interviews. Yeah. That's how she said it's that, for me, it feels, it doesn't feel... I, I'm not really conscious of it, yeah. but I know it's happening. Yeah. Um, interesting. So that's an interesting one. What about you? Um, so, oh, I guess the bit that I would probably, my experience of failure would be uh, consistently within my inability to uh, not dominate meetings with my opinions, uh, particularly when it was a subject I knew much better than everyone else. So it's much easier for me to be in meetings when I don't know the subject. Are you a better meeting participant when you have less to say? I am a far better meeting participant when I know less. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, because I'm, I'm, I will somewhat regulate. Yeah. Um, I, am, I find it very difficult not to correct people or not to give, give them my point of view ASAP. And it has ta- it's a work in progress. And I really struggle with it. And it took me sitting down and going, what's happening? Yeah. It took me yeah, literally sitting down and going, what is going on in my brain that I am so desperate that I can't let that comment pop? And I've discovered I really don't like it. And it's so funny. I really don't like it when people talk as if they're right and they're wrong. Yeah. Or they or they talk as if they're right and it's only one perspective. Yeah. Which is ironic because yeah, I, yeah, I do it all the time myself. I do it all the time. So yeah, uh, I've had to... I've had to actual, actually develop, and obviously I can't avoid those situations, particularly when you're not when you're in senior management role. Yeah, it's hard, so yeah. instead, uh, if you go back to the emotional model, for example, um, I've used a lot of the feedback from the other models, but it's been the emotional uh, adaption. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I do with a lot of people I work with is I tell them if they've got similar or, or the opposite problem, um, we set them targets in meetings to speak. So, for example, people who tend to dominate meetings aren't allowed to speak for the first 10 minutes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and their job is to make sure that nothing really important is on the agenda. Or they pick one agenda a topic. Yeah. Or they don't, they wait till they're asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly if they're a prolific talker. Um, you just say, wait till you're asked. Someone's going to ask you. If you're smart and you know your stuff, they will ask. Particularly because uh, they'll be like, why is she so quiet? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it works every time. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's a lovely, lovely story. Um, should we jump on to some final thoughts? Yeah. Top tips from you? Top tips? Well, I've got more of a thought than a tip this time. Okay, go for it. Okay. Um, so I was thinking about this. You know, like Jane said, we had a chat about it yesterday, and I was thinking about it a little bit the day before. And what I kind of ended up thinking was that, you know, you can be really good at self-regulation, but that doesn't necessarily make you a good person and mean that you're regulating yourself towards achieving outcomes that are good for you and, and or good for others. Right? So... 
sometimes, the, in my opinion, this is all my opinion, the, the sort of emotional things that we have popping up and the things that we have that help us um, and, and steer us in life are, are things that slow us down or block us or prevent us doing bad things. So if I have a, maybe a negative emotional response to uh, the fact that I'm about to do something bad, then, then that'll stop me doing it. And, and that's, you know, that's probably a good thing. But, but to some extent, if you can self-regulate yourself through a whole bunch of um, difficult situations, that could enable you to do really bad stuff without um, tripping yourself up uh, and slowing yourself down through the, the sort of social norms and cues that the rest of the world's susceptible to. So my example about you know, the woman crying in, um, in feedback sessions, um, in some instances, crying's a, a, a powerful, helpful thing to do. And that's a, a natural... Uh, mechanism that the body has to help us act in certain ways. And if you can suppress all these things, and, and if you can intentionally do it, then these tools can, I believe, be used to help you force yourself to do bad things as well as good things. So I think intention is important as ever. And that's kind of my reflection on this. I think intention and context has become my yeah. mantra for the world. I think intention is so powerful. Um, what about you? Uh, so my top tip is taken from a team that I used to work alongside but not in. Uh-huh. And I learned a lot from them, and now I do it quite a lot. And that's uh, enlist other people. Yeah, this, okay. is always, this is always my advice. Get other people to help you. Acknowledge where you struggle to self-regulate yeah. and get help. I've talked before about when I gave up smoking and the people in the office. Um, but this particular example I want to give uh, of, of how I've seen it work and why I think it would work for you is where uh, there were some consistently pe- late people at meetings and the team came up with a joint coping strategy, okay. which was one to try and discourage the behavior by referring to them as time thieves and charging them every yeah, time they were late. I, I love language. But it was banter, like yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like you're a time thief. Yeah. And ha- how many yeah. times have you been a time thief yeah, this yeah. month? I love and this was, concept of like common language and stuff like that. Yeah, like, and, I, I and I think it's really important to understand they were a really strong team. Yeah, and they were really happy with each other. So this was not in any way feeling negative. Mm-hmm. It was about he's acknowledged he wants to get better at this, or she has. So there was one, uh, one that, and I, and they kind of set themselves a bit of a team target around it. Okay. And then that person found it much easier to pull for the team than the individual. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm a big believer in peer support, and that's yeah. my top. Yeah. Peer support tip. is powerful, right? And that whole collaborative effort for all the things. And not even to mention the power of acknowledging you're not perfect. Uh, that's hugely powerful, right? Stick your hand up, say, "I need a bit of help. Yeah. I'd like to be a bit better." That's hard to do. So that's my top tip. Yeah. Good. Well, I like this. That's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. It's a pleasure. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you. Thank you.